Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. Welcome to this edition of Blue vs. Red Corner at MMA FanCast. This is Luke Mason here, and today we are joined by Week 5 Dana White Contender Series fighter, Billy Cornella. Welcome to the program, Billy. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, we, we are so happy you could join us today. We're about maybe 10 days, a week and a half out from your fight um, on the Dana White seri- uh, Week 5, so we're super excited to have you. You currently have a pro official pro record of 11 and two. You've actually had some more MMA fights than that. We'll talk about how that is, but your official record is 11 and two, and you are high ranked on topology as a 145 featherweight fighter outside of one of the main organizations. Um, So it's really great to have you on uh, the show tonight. Let's jump in with what might be uh, super exciting for some of our listeners at, as they as they remember back four years ago. Four years ago, you were a member of the Ultimate Fighter um, season 22, which was Conor McGregor versus Uriah Faber, and it was billed as Europe versus US. What overall, what was that experience like for you? Oh uh, yeah, it was a great experience. So um, at the time, you know, I was uh, 26 years old. I was a young fighter. Um, you know, I got into the sport pretty late. I started training you know, everything when I was about 20 years old. So I, I was relatively new to the game. I was six and one as a pro. And uh, it was a it was a great learning lesson. You know, I, I took a lot of really good things away from it. And, you know, ultimately, I just knew I had a lot to work on after. And uh, I've been working my butt off since then. And I'm a whole new fighter now. I'm, I'm very much improved. And um, I filled in a lot of those holes that I had back then. So um, you know, in, in, a, in a couple of weeks here, you guys are going to see uh, a new and improved version of the product that was, you know, four years old. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to ask a couple more follow-up questions about Tough, because obviously it's just so cool that you had that experience. Um, but absolutely, your record stands uh, for itself. And I think myself and a lot of listeners are going to wonder why you aren't already in the UFC, but what you told me, there's some reasons for that. And I think it'll be a great interview, but going back to that 26 years old, how did you get on the ultimate fighter? How did you, how that process come about? Um, and did you know it was going to be McGregor who at the time was, was still skyrocketing up in popularity? Um, did you know it was going to be the coaches that you, that, that were on the, um, uh, show? Like how much did you know about it before you got on the show? Um, yeah, I didn't know much about it um, when, when I actually tried out. Then after yeah. the tryout, I kind of had a good feeling it was the Conor McGregor, at least yeah. for the one side. So what happened was they put out like a, a, an issue that was like, it was a couple months before the show started, obviously, where they basically right. said that they're filming for the Ultimate Fighter. It was going to be at lightweight. 
And uh, I fought at I fought at featherweight before, but um, I also fought at at lightweight. So sure. I figured it'd be perfect for me because, as you know, you know you could fight every few days. You know, so you got to yeah. be basically right. Yeah, so I think it makes more sense to. That's what oh, a lot yeah. of fighters fighters end up doing. They end up fighting up a weight class, which I, there was a lot of featherweight on that show anyway. Um, yeah. So I went out to the tryouts and I had a good record. I was six and one. Um, me and my head trainer, Matt Arroyo, who was also on, he was on season six of the ultimate fighter. So we kind of, kind of understand, understood what I was doing, right. uh, you know, with the tryout. Um, and I, I did really well in the tryouts and they, they liked what they saw. So they sent us back. And I do remember at the tryout, there's a lot of European people. Um, yeah. and I had a good, I had, just, I just had a, a feeling, you know, Connor was on the rise then, mm-hmm. um, and it turned out what they were trying to do was they, it was actually, so it was almost four years ago to the day. They were actually trying to, they were going to make, they were trying to make the Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo fight. And mm. they already did like the world tour. And basically yeah. it was going to be, it was basically what they had planned. It was going to be Chad Mendez, or I'm sorry, it was going to be Jose Aldo fighting Conor McGregor for the featherweight title. and sure. then the weekend after that it was supposed to be conor mcgregor versus chad mendez on the ultimate fighter mm. and right. so what happened was since eldo got hurt before that he got hurt like i think like 10 days before the fight chad mendez actually stepped up and fought him right before that and right. then since eldo was out they had uriah faber come in and coach and that was one of the reasons why you know most of the seasons they have the two coaches fight each other um yeah, that one they did wanted, right exactly they wanted two big names and since right. chad was already fought connor right before that they had faber do the ultimate fighter instead and then they pushed the eldo fight back after that so it was it was really interesting i'm really glad they they picked faber because he was a, he was an amazing coach and uh just a, a wealth of knowledge in and outside the ring. So it, it was a really great. Yeah. Experience. Talk, talk a little bit more about, talk a little bit more about Faber because when you think about, and of course he's just coming out of retirement, he's got a fight scheduled um, for Anaheim and it, it's, he yeah, just turned tomorrow. 40. And, yeah. There you go. Well, there, there it is. That's, that's going to yeah. be, but back then he was, he, and he still is one of the best known lighter weight guys, particularly from the WC coming over and it just a wealth of information and doing it longer than most guys particularly at that weight. So what do you remember learning the most from him? He's obviously well known as being um, the founder and the coach at team Alpha Male, And he kind of specializes in, I'm going to say 170 and down, although Rewrite favor, don't get mad at me, but the lighter weight guys, probably 155 and down. So, what do you remember um, as being a 26 year old kid, six and one? What do you remember learning from him the most? Um, that's a great question. So, he, he taught us a ton of stuff. I remember hearing not from him, but from like some of the, his teammates. Um, I remember listening to them um, when they talked about like Uriah Favors, like the business side of it. Um, they would oh. talk about how, you know, like they would talk about how how much business he has involved, like he, he's involved with. Apparently he owns a lot of real estate around the Sacramento area. So he has okay. like, ha- houses everywhere. Um, and I actually saw that a couple of years after the, sh- after the show, like two years ago, I actually uh, flew out to Sacramento and team Mel and trained with those guys for like 10 days. And I stayed in one of their fighter houses and it's literally like a house. It's like a block away from the gym. And there was, five other fighters there and they were all super cool 
And that was just one of his houses. And another thing is that he's involved with, I think, like 10 businesses right now. So he's involved with, like, healthy, nutritious food. He's involved okay. with his, his gym, which is team, which is, uh, it's actually Uriah Faber's Ultimate Fitness. The MMA team oh. is Team Alpha Male, and he helps manage oh, okay. those guys. Then he also, um, he's got his hand in uh, a UFC gym out there, which is more like a fitness gym. And so yeah. he just there's there's probably ten other things that I'm not even that I can't that I don't even know about. Um, you know he's done like he's been in like little parts of movies and, and commercials, oh, sure. sponsorship deals. Oh, yeah. So he's just uh you know just brings so much to the table. And you know in during with like the MMA side of it, he taught us a ton of like technical moves, um and really just the work ethic that he puts in. You know he didn't miss one practice. He was there every single day. He, we were there twice. We we made sure we trained twice a day, every single day, which was a lot at the time. You know, like just going through that every single day, that daily grind. And I know the Europeans they only trained like once a day, which you know it could have been better for them at the time because they had a lot more. They were a little bit more well rested. But now okay. in the long run, I know how hard that training can be, and it it, it picks my training up a couple notches. So it was really intense training. Um, and, I, and I'm very grateful for it because it was, it was that work ethic that you really want to have and have to be around. Yeah. And I think the, the humility that, you know, that the work ethic that comes from being humble, not in the sense of you don't think you'll win because I think fighters all need to have confidence that the win, but the humility in the sense of putting your work in and not being somebody like Uriah Faber probably could have shown up whenever he wanted to. The cameras would have made it look like he was there longer, you know? And so seeing somebody at the top of his game at the time, uh, putting the work in is, is great. Uh, we've actually asked most of the Dana White contender series people, fighters, whether or not they'd prefer Dana White contender series or the ultimate fighter. Uh, but we've never had anybody that actually had been on the ultimate fighter, but all the fighters pointed out, but they did not want to be a Mothman fighter unless they had to be because it's six to eight weeks away from everybody, no TV, no phone, you know, you're sequestered and the drama and the craziness of the house and the drinking and the parties. What was it like for you when the cameras were off? Are the cameras ever off? What was the drama level like? Don't, don't like call people out by name, but was it kind of overwhelming to be locked in the, in the house for six weeks? What, what was that behind the scenes like? Yeah, it um yeah, no, the cameras never turn off and okay. uh, they you basically do it where like you wake up in the morning, you put your microphone on and when you go to sleep you put your microphone off, but it's pretty much always on. And uh, you know, like when you have a fight coming up, it, there's literally two cameras on you at all times. So okay. it was uh, yeah, it went from at, like once once it started, it was a little overwhelming just to have cameras always on you and you know you're being recorded, so you kind of think about what you say when you first start. Mm -hmm. A few a few days into it, most of us got over it. There were some people who were, uh, you know, a, a little bit uneasy being away from home and being away from their families. Yeah. I wasn't too bad with it because I kind of, you know, I I, I was kind of preparing myself. I knew what I signed up for, and it was it was really fun. I enjoyed being there. Like I said, it was a lot of hard work, and you felt like you kind of had to be there because you don't want to let your team down, and you don't want to be right. that guy who's like not training. And then it became, you know, it was you know, full on training mode the whole time. But then after I lost my fight, it was, it was about a month and it was, uh, it maybe like three and a half weeks in. So I still had, mm -hmm. I still had two and a half, three weeks to go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, it was more, I had a feeling, you know, they weren't going to bring me back because they, that was the, the season where they brought back Artem because he lost his fight. He lost a really exciting fight, and they brought him and Johnny Nunez back. So there was already yeah. an extra guy. So they were already mm-hmm. having, you know, a round of nine instead of a round of eight. So after, pretty much after everyone lost, it it slowly turned from like this, this like intense training atmosphere to like an intense training atmosphere, but also like a frat house. Like everyone was like drinking mm-hmm. and partying and we were, we we're all still training hard, but it gets pretty boring there unless like you're drinking, finding ways to have fun. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. so to answer your question, I'm definitely more excited about uh, being on a one, a one episode contender series than a yeah seven week ultimate fighter yeah absolutely and i I do think uh we we the last the last interview we actually did the the fighter we were interviewing said are they even doing ultimate fighter anymore and i think they are but at this point the seasons it's just it's more about the drama and and there might be some development aspects like what you pointed out and i think but but one of the things that i see from the coaching mindset you know that that's going to put you at an advantage is not only having the ultimate fighter experience and fighting for the UFC, although technically they're your one win and one loss on the ultimate fighter is listed as exhibition fights. Um, but it's yeah. also because now you're able to keep your training the same. We all know how important it is for fighters to have standard training with their teammates and their coaches. And you don't get that in the ultimate fighter because you're, you know, you're being followed around by cameras and obviously you have coaches that are great. You're out of favor as a legendary uh, fighter, but it's also not your guy. So I think it's a smoother transition. One last question on ultimate fighter before we bring up to the present, because obviously that's more important. Conor McGregor, clearly that was the, that was the series. If I remember correctly, where the whole snake in the grass, TJ Dillashaw was happening, right? Yeah. Um, right. So all that. So what was the, what, was it kind of like when Connor came in that like sort of everything stopped? Did you, was it sort of drama like that all the time? Or as long as Connor wasn't there, you guys focused because that series, that, that season kind of was the Connor show and it kind of needed to be. And that's what, you know, brought him up. But was it distracting to you guys or was it helpful because you were on Team USA? Yeah, uh, we kind of expected that, you know, from the first episode, um, you know, when everyone's walking in normal clothes and Conor McGregor's wearing like a three-piece suit with his his belt that he just won. Yeah, uh, right, he just won it, yeah. Yeah, he just won it from Chad Mendez, so he had all the fuel to to talk trash, and uh, yeah, honestly, most of the time, it was pretty lighthearted, like, him and him and Faber were actually, it seemed like they had a ton of respect for each other and uh, they would always just be going back and forth talking smack, but it was usually lighthearted. When TJ Dillashaw was there, he, TJ came in for like a week and he was, he was a super cool guy. I liked him. You know, I know, I know some people, uh, he rubbed some people the wrong way, but him and, you know, Cody Garbrandt, they were some of my favorite guys there and, and you know, Faber, of course. Um, yeah. With that whole TJ thing. He, so TJ comes in and, there was a, what happened with that? There was, they were doing a photo shoot and they sat both teams down and we were sitting down there for like an hour because they do these photo shoots. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of times where you just basically just sit around and wait around. And during, during that whole time that we're all just sitting there, Connor's just chirping and he's, he's talking smack about TJ and he's talking smack about uh, team alpha male and all this and all that. And they, they just got sick of it. You could tell that like, 
you know, if, if someone just keeps talking trash about you and your friends, there's only so much of it you can take. They're, they're all fighters at heart. So it just boiled over and it was just enough, 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 enough was enough. So then that's when Cody pushed him and it, yeah. it really was about to be a fight breaking out. But besides that, most of it was pretty, you know, pretty chill. None of, there wasn't any big rivalries with like the Europeans and the Americans. We all got along pretty good. There was a couple nights where like everyone was drinking and talking smack, but at the end of the day, like we, we were all there for, for a purpose. And um, I would say the bigger rivalry was with Connor and like team alpha male. He just loved like getting under sure. the skin. But we did here. There was, you know, we were, we were stuck in the house, but they were also in Vegas the whole time and they were allowed to go out and party. So we would hear stories about them, like Faber and Connor and all those guys going out and partying. And it seemed like they got along, you know, outside of the show. Hey, I appreciate you taking us down memory lane. I know that's four years ago now, so we'll catch back up. But that was in 2015, four years ago. And then you you went on a great tear after being on The Ultimate Fighter. And you, in those next two years, from 15 to 17, you banged out some wins. You had a really good record. Um, and your last fight in 2017 was against Reynolds, um, Eric Reynolds. And it was a great fight. You knocked him out slash submitted him. Uh, Tapology has it recorded as a TKO stoppage due to um, the referee getting involved. But I watched the fight, and in the fight, that, that's the same fight. In the fight, you, uh -huh. you almost knock him out. It's a clean punch, a clean cross. He goes to the ground, you get on him, and you rear naked choke him. Um, however that was, it was a great win about 50 seconds into uh -huh. the first round. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. I know that was that was several years ago, and we're going to talk about why it was back in 2017. But for the 45 seconds I watched, it looked like your opponent, Reynolds, really wanted to strike. Um, he was kind of a possibly slightly taller, a little bit more muscle defined. Um, it looked like he was more of the, the, the classic striker. And you used, in that little bit of the fight, you used some wrestling threats and takedowns, and then uh, you ended up landing that huge... That, that huge well a great jab and then a huge cross um are do, do you it looked very well rounded do you feel that that that's your game plan to to kind of flow you didn't look like somebody who was uncomfortable striking and that only wanted to use grappling you didn't look like somebody that was uncomfortable grappling and only wanted to strike um and so am i right about that was that kind of your your game plan you just mix in whatever it takes yeah, absolutely. And um and, and what what you were talking about earlier with the ultimate fighter, um, you know, yeah. I really didn't get the game plan against, you know, any of my opponents because, you know, I, I'm I'm really big into like studying film and studying my opponents mm -hmm. and studying who they fought. Um and so the sure. Reynolds fight, we I have actually known Eric Reynolds. We actually trained together um a few times, uh, back in the day. Like we sparred together and stuff like that. Um and when I was coming up, like so when I was like an amateur fighter, he was killing it. He was knocking people out and he was fighting for Bellator and, and uh, XFC and, and these bigger shows. Um, so I, I looked up to him quite a bit. But um, when they offered me the fight, I was like, absolutely, I'll take it. And so we knew he was a good striker. And so my game plan was just that. It was to mix in, mix in some grappling, yeah. tire him out a little bit, um, and, and also you know attack him with, with, with my own striking. Um, and it just worked out that way. I was able to take him down. He popped right back up. Um, yeah. And I was planning on doing that the whole fight, you know, striking with him and then mixing his mm -hmm. takedowns. Um, he's been submitted a few times. So that was, that was the game plan. Um, and it just worked out perfectly. I landed that big right hand. He kept coming forward, but while he was coming mm -hmm. forward, I was still landing clean shots. Um, so that's why yeah. I just sat down on it and, um, you know, was able to get that win. 
And, uh, yeah, it was, that was one of the bigger wins of my, my career. And it was, you know, it was a quick fight, which as a fighter, that's yeah. all you can ask for. You, you want to get in and out, you know, you don't get paid by the hour. So, uh, the quick fights are the ones that you really appreciate. Cause I've been in some, some wars where, you know, we both get really busted up. So that was a, right. a great fight for me. Absolutely. And it, it, I would say it really showed against a high level guy, uh, a, a lot of variety, even though it was under, under a minute of a fight. Okay. So take us after that. So 2017, you have this big win against Reynolds. You're, you're probably at the height of your career. It's just two years after the ultimate fighter. You got to be thinking that you're going to the UFC soon. Um, if not right after that fight. And then what, what happened kind of walk us through that journey um, of post Reynolds fight. Yep. So, yep. So I, I, uh, I finished Reynolds. Um, super excited after that because yeah, that's, I thought that was my opportunity. I was like, here we go. Um, and there was actually, they were on, once I beat Reynolds, they were actually filming season one of, of the contender series. So it was like just towards the end of it. Um, and I actually went out to Vegas. Um, one of my really good friends, Matt Frivola was on the last episode of season one of the contender series. Um, so I actually went to Vegas and, um, was able to watch him fight in the contender series and win it and, and get a UFC fight, you know, get in the UFC. He's still in the UFC doing really well. And, uh, but then after that, like a, a couple months after I was training my butt off getting ready for uh, a, another hopeful fight. Um, and I tore my ACL, I basically blew my knee out in wrestling practice. So I blew my knee out, tore my ACL, had to get surgery on that. Um, and it was really discouraging because, you know, like you were saying, I was in, I was, that was the, the height of my career. I was, you know, I was, I was just ready to hopefully get a UFC fight or another big promotion. Uh, I tore my ACL and the doctor basically told me that I was going to be out for a year. And so it was uh, really discouraging. And, but I, you know, I took it and tried and, and I, I basically worked my butt off to, to get back to where I am today. Absolutely. And, and during that journey, you got some advice you said and ended up taking a boxing, uh, a boxing fight. So explain about that advice, who it came from, and what was the boxing? What was the idea of doing boxing? How did that fight go for you in the in-between? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So when I tore my ACL, um, like when, I actually, when the actual, actual injury happened, um, I was with my trainer, Matt Arroyo, who um, basically told me that um, one of our friends, Joe Lozon, who's, you know, a, a UFC legend, um, he went through the same thing, basically the same surgery. So I called Joe up and Joe is the man. I can't say enough good things about him. He actually gave me some advice about what surgery to do, because when you tear your ACL, right. they can do it. They can do it a few different ways. And so I ended up doing the surgery that he told me to do. And then he explained to me that, um, that he came back after 10 months, but it was still like, he, he thought it was a little bit too soon to come back in an MMA fight. And so, and, and then what he was doing was the first thing he was able to do after about a month or two was he was able to start boxing. So I kind of took his advice, got that surgery, started doing all my knee rehab. And then just like he told me, I started just boxing. So I was like hobbling around, barely could walk, but I would go to the gym and basically just hit and hit. And it was funny because I could literally barely, barely walk, but I was just touching them. And I was doing my knee rehab and boxing for the first three months. And then I decided my, um, so my, my, my doctor, his name is Dr. Garlic, super good, um, super good surgeon. But he told me that he would not clear me for an MMA fight for a full year because he really wanted that, you know, that to heal up. So I basically found a loophole and I was able, and I basically made the decision to take a boxing match and I wanted to take it 
eight months after the surgery. So I basically sure. just worked my butt off every single day did the rehab, basically did everything he told me to do, did everything I could with boxing. I basically just come to the gym every day. And instead of doing, you know, Muay Thai, wrestling, Jiu-Jitsu, it would just be like boxing, 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 and like some, some lifting weights knee, and knee rehab. So all I was doing was fixing my leg, lifting weights, and boxing. Um, and then so basically eight and a half months after, my doctor wasn't too excited about it, but he he didn't give he didn't give me the official clearance, but he basically didn't tell me no, and that was right. good enough. I kind of just worked worked around. I didn't really ask for his permission. I just told him I was going to kind of do it anyway. And so eight and a half months after that surgery, I had a boxing match, uh, totally dominated it. I won a four round decision, and then once I got done with the boxing match, that was eight and a half months after surgery. That next Monday, I started doing jujitsu again. I started uh, doing really light Muay Thai kicks, like very very light. And then I ended up taking my next MMA fight um, against a pretty tough opponent. His name's Adrian Vlaka from Canada. Mm-hmm. So I was the main event for that in King of the Cage. Um, and I, yep. that, that ended up being, I think, 14 months after surgery. And mm-hmm. I went out and dominated him too. Ended up knocking him out in the second round. And uh, so that basically got me back on track to where I am now. And you know now I'm looking at this Contender Series fight, which is you know, the biggest fight of my career, especially, you know, since the ultimate fighter. Well, it really shows your perseverance. You know, you said it's, it's a, it's a tough break. And we know, I think Dominic Cruz is probably in some ways, not only is he an incredible talent and a multiple time champion, but, but he's kind of uh, sadly a legend for, for all of his injuries and constantly trying to battle back. So um, the perseverance on your part, has been great. It also shows that you, in some ways, are even better than you were uh, when you originally got injured after you knocked out Reynolds, because now you've not only gotten stronger, but you've been able to test yourself in just striking, which I think can have some advantages, you know, because that way your, your brain has to focus on only striking and you can't kind of go to your wrestling. So it's sort of it sort of makes you be a little bit more dynamic in boxing, which I think can be helpful. Totally. And then, of course, now you are, uh, you're the king of the cage champ. And it got you right back on. How soon after the King of the Cage uh, fight when you won uh, in the second round, how soon after that did you know that Dana White was happening um, in July? Um, so, yeah, it was something that I've, I've wanted to do. So I tried before I tore my ACL, I tried to get on the first season of it. And, but it was just right. too late. You know, they were, it was basically, yeah. I was healed up. I was, I was, my point, it was like in the last episode. And then I was hoping to get on the next season, but I was hurt for that. So then this third season, I'm like, all right, we got to get on this. So what happened with that was we went, so again, Matt Favola, my, my boy, he actually had a fight in uh, UFC Atlanta. And we had the same head coach and the same manager. It's the same, uh, the guy's name is Matt Arroyo, awesome guy. He was on the Ultimate Fighter a few years ago, like, like I talked about earlier. Yeah. And so for that that card, UFC Atlanta, which is an amazing card, that was the uh, the Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier rematch, oh, Israel Acanya, yeah. Calvin Gaslam. Just an amazing fight, uh, amazing fight card. And uh, Matt Favola fought and he won on that. So when we went to that UFC Atlanta, it was it, Matt knew that that was my goal to get on the Contender Series. And he was already emailing Sean Shelby about it. Um, and sure enough, we were all staying in the Fighters Hotel. And Sean was there and all those guys were there. So uh, my manager actually got a chance to sit down with him and talk to him explain to him, you know, like explain to him, you know, kind of remind him who I was from, from the show, what I've been doing since then. Um, and then a few days after that, Sean emailed him back and said that they were looking for an opponent for me. 
and then we finally got the deal done and I'm, I'm so excited to, to be a part of it. Absolutely. Now, speaking of your opponent, you had talked earlier about uh, being focused on game planning when you can and looking at tape on your opponent. Um, since you've kind of known about this for a pretty long time now, um, how, how much of that game planning have you done um, and what's your training camp like um, going into this, this fight? Yeah, my training camp's been great, and uh, they, they, we thought this fight was going to be um, – we actually thought it was going to be this past Tuesday. It was originally scheduled yeah. for July 3rd, and they actually canceled that whole card and, and threw our fight, you know, back to week five. So I've known about this fight for, you know, two months now, and, and even yeah. before training camp, you know, I'm, I'm always in the gym. I Full-time, I basically help out. I, I train people. I train younger fighters. Um, sure. I, I run our, our amateur fight team, so I'm always in the gym anyway. I'm, I'm always in the gym oh, nice. three, four times a day, so I'm, I'm I'm always training. But of course, when you got a name, when you put a name and a date on it, it, it adds up. So this training camp has been great. We've, you know, all me and my coaches have sat down and watched my opponent. Um, we've game planned. We we know what our strategy is, and it's it's very it's usually all pretty much the same, and it's you know basically super be super aggressive, push the pace. My, my conditioning's always on point and basically just look to break my opponent, you know, whether that's, whether that's striking, whether it's with takedowns, whether that's, you know, just boxing with kicks or, or whatever I want to do, I'm just going to be in his face the whole time and looking for that finish. And everyone, everyone's always asking like, Oh, does it, you know, put more pressure on that? You need to be exciting. And I don't think it does because I, I'm always looking to be exciting. I'm always looking to, to finish my opponent, you know, that's what MMA is. You, you want to put a show on for everyone. Right. You know, the win, the win is the most important thing, but I try to have exciting fights anyway. I never wanted to be like that boring fighter who just laid on someone or who just tried to grind out a decision. So um, my strategy is always the same. And I'm looking, I'm looking for that kill. Well, we are very much looking forward to seeing you in action. What does it look like uh, for you as far as your coaches that are going with you? And then we also know that if you want, you get up to four guests to, to come to, to see the fight. Who are you taking with you? And what does that, what does that look like? Obviously, you've done the Ultimate Fighter where you weren't allowed to have your own coaches or your own uh, fans to come with you. So what's it like this time around? Yeah, so, uh, yep, my coaches, so they're only allowing us to have two coaches, which is unfortunate, because I always have my main three guys. I've had the same three coaches for the last, you know, five years, six years, and it's um, my head coach, Matt Arroyo, who he's cornered me in every single fight that I've had. I've had, I think, 27 fights, so the only fights he hasn't coached me in are the Ultimate Fighter, and then my right. first fight when I was still living in Buffalo, um, I fought without him, and then I moved to Tampa after that. So he's basically been in my corner the whole time. And then my other coach um, is my Muay Thai coach. His name's Crew Dan Rawlings. Incredible, incredible striking coach. He was a really good uh, Muay Thai fighter. So he's just got a, a wealth of knowledge. He's been doing it. He's basically been doing martial arts his whole life. Just always has new tools. He's always giving me new weapons. Um, he's about my size as well, so he's a great sparring mm -hmm. partner. Um, he he always pushes the pace on me. He's got cardio for days, so I, I take a lot of what he has and a lot of the jujitsu that that Matt Arroyo gives me. Um, for my four my four people that I'm bringing, it's really tough. Right. I got a big family. My girlfriend's the first one. She would she would kill me if I didn't bring her. Um, she's like my number one. She's, she's always with me. Um, the first episode of the ultimate fighter, she was actually with me too. They actually let us bring three people to that. Oh, um, okay. 
Yeah. So, so she's been here with me the whole time. And, uh, you know, she's been in, you know, the, the, all the nightclubs and casinos that I fought in before that. So she's definitely someone who's coming. And then the other three tickets, it's going to be tough. I, I don't want to say who's, who, okay. uh, cause there's a ton of people are coming to Vegas. So there's going to end up being about 15, 20 people there. Um, and okay. I have, I have three brothers. One of my brothers always corners me. His name's Jim. Right. He used to box back in the day. And I just love having, you know, one of my, one of my family members in my corner. So mm-hmm. unfortunately he can't corner me. He'll definitely be at the fight. And then my dad for sure. And I'm going to try to find a way to get my brother, my other two brothers in there. And then probably my sister as well. So I'll try to get the whole family in there, at least my immediate brothers and sisters. And uh, then the rest of them, the rest of the people I basically told, listen, you know, they're not really selling tickets for this fight, but if right. you want to come up to Vegas, they'll, we're going to stay there for a few days after and, and have some fun since it's been such a long training camp. Right. But, uh, yeah, there's uh there's going to be a few people snubbed, but it is what it is. They're, I told them that to get ready for the next one, that's going to be the, the, the big one anyway. Well, absolutely. Plus, I mean, it sounds like you guys will have a, a good hangout time um, afterwards. And so that's still valuable for the people that are going, that aren't getting, that aren't getting in. So that ended up being a more exciting question than I thought it was going to be uh, when I asked it. Uh, well, I guess my last, I guess my last question is you kind of threw out there, which is always interesting to me as an interviewer, um, as, as fighters train themselves and look to better themselves. Most pro fighters um end up coaching and 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 you know doing all the training stuff one because it's a job and also because it's their passion you mentioned that you team manage or run or train the amateur fight team at your gym and so what are your functions there are you doing um are you like yeah i guess i'll just ask that what are your functions as the head team trainer for the amateur fight team yeah so i so i bring i I've brought around the, the amateur fight team. So I basically, you know, I've been at the gym since 2010 and I, I've came up to the rankings. I was nine and one as an amateur. Oh, I'm sorry. Nine and two mm-hmm. as an amateur technically. Um, and uh, nine and one at GTS. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I basically come, came up with the rankings and Arroyo was my coach. He's been my coach the whole time, but after he's had, you know, since I've known him, he's had, he's gotten married. He's had two kids and he's, and he's had a lot of mm-hmm. third, and he also runs the gym. He runs the jiu-jitsu program. And he, he does so much right now that he's no longer coaching like the young fighters um, because mm-hmm. it, it takes a long time. You know, I've been doing this since 2010 and I'm just right. getting to that, the highest level. And, you know, Matt Favola is in the yeah. UFC. But besides that, and there's a few other of our pros that are at, at a pretty high level, but it's a lot of work to get them there. So his goal now is to basically just coach the guys that he started with and then he's not going to sure. coach anymore in terms of like the fight team. So what I've right. done since 2016 is I've been running all the sparring sessions for the amateur fighters. Mm. Um, I run a, the, I basically run like a, an intro, like a beginner striking class, but it's just a good class for like them to get extra reps in. Um, and then I do, I basically do an MMA class where we basically just go over all the fundamental stuff, all the stuff that I've learned over the years. And I make sure that I, I am helping develop their game. I'm making sure everyone's well-rounded. And then I actually go out and find all these guys fight. And mm. um, so since 2016, I was actually looking, I keep everything in my journal. We've had 51 fights now. And wow. We're 33, 16, and 1. So we've go. had, yeah, 
no, thirty-four, sixteen and one now because we just had another fight. Uh, one of my guys just got a knockout win the other day, so we're thirty-four, sixteen and one with the fifty-one fights. Um, and even more impressively, that, that we've only had two guys that have been finished. So like, there's all all the losses have been decisions, besides two of them, and we've had like. I think 20 finishes for us. So we, we've been very yeah. successful. I just had my first guy go pro. Um, his there you name go. John Arce. John Arce, he went 6-0 um, and o as an amateur. Now he's 1-0 and o as a pro. He just won for hmm. CFFC. And he'll be making he'll oh, have wow. a second fight coming up. He's just a beast at 125. So he's a little featherweight. Or I'm sorry, a little flyweight. Um, and then we got a couple other guys who are, are just going to, you know, they're going to they're gonna be good because they're doing everything right where – you know, it, it, it took me a lot through like trial and error and I figured mm-hmm. out, you know, what you got to do. And now they're already doing the stuff that I, you know, that I didn't do until later in my career, you know, they're getting, they, they get all that knowledge right now. So now they kind of know what to do to, to get to that next level. Absolutely. And that's actually something that's happening in MMA or needs to happen in MMA is for coaches at the beginning, like you said, you know, the intro classes to have the mindset and obviously the experience you have is, is fantastic and to train them as MMA fighters from the beginning you still have some gyms which just kind of say well we mainly grapple here we mainly do jits here we're all about striking here but then at the amateur level that can work you know you'll see amateurs where they really rely on only one game plan or one style but then as soon as they get a higher level amateur or even first couple of fights as pro um, then they're, they're not as well-rounded then you've got guys that are later into their career still trying to figure out holes and, and, and fill holes in their game. So I think your mindset as being in this for almost a decade now um, is, is just helping the next crop. And, and I think as exciting as it is for you to launch your official um, UFC career in, in about 10 days here, it's also really great to know that your legacy isn't just going to be what you do, which it still will be. You still got time left to have a great career in the UFC, but it's also going to be the legacy of developing fighters, uh, which to bring it all full circle, that's actually other than the fact that Uriah Faber's going to be fighting again, it's actually what he's kind of branched into is being known for first TJ and then Cody. Um, and it's kind of a, it's kind of even a better career is being a coach because you get to coach, you know, 25, 30 people and, and, and impact all of those instead of just focusing on yourself. So it's a, it's a great balance you have. I'm really um, happy that we could have you on the show and, and we always invite the fighters that, that go into the Dana White to come back on our show after the fight uh, so you can talk about how it went and, you know, whatever next happens. Hopefully it's a contract and then you're, and then you're headed sure. off to the UFC. So thanks so much for coming on. Once again, this has been Billy Corintello and uh, tune in for week five uh, of Dana White Contender Series. Uh, thanks again, Billy. Thank you for having me, my man. All right. Well, that's, that's it, I guess.